This is Learning Innovation, the teaching and learning podcast, also known as LittlePod. We are created by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation, located in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. In the spirit of equity, diversity and inclusion, and Nitsitapi Simstan, or real thinking, we play host to a spectrum of guests from the teaching and learning community. As we highlight and explore innovation in education, we hope to kindle warm conversations, expand perspectives, and foster lasting partnerships today, tomorrow, and beyond. The future of learning starts now. Okay, and welcome to episode number 52 of The Little Pod. Today we're talking with Alexander McEwen, an educator who is exploring innovative ways to introduce K-12 students to generative AI. Alex is currently completing his Bachelor of Education at the University of Lethbridge, and he just finished his teaching practicum at Chinook High School in Lethbridge this past semester. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you very much for having me, Donna. I'm super excited to be here. Well, I'm really excited to learn about what you've been working on, and I'd love to hear about your teaching practicum. Can you share a little bit more about this experience? Yeah, so something that's a little unique to the University of Lethbridge is we have what's called PS3, and what that is is you start in August with the regular frontline teachers, and you teach a whole semester, essentially. So I went straight from, I was the very first teacher that uh, introduced myself to those kids in September, and I was taught them every single day up until December 22nd, where my practicum actually ended. In that time, I got to teach 20-1 and 10-2, but part of my responsibilities during this practicum was running a research project. And that really gave me some really cool insights on how students feel about AI and how we can really integrate it into the classroom. Well, that's very exciting to be both conducting the research as well as working in your practicum. So what were some of the methods that you used to introduce your students to generative AI? Well, I first introduced students to AI through creating metaphors and analogies for my course content. I taught social studies mostly. So when I was teaching about hybridization of cultures, I created a metaphor with AI using a garden. And that really resonated with the kids. And they found that when I brought up AI, they were super duper interested into it. They oftentimes knew about it before I brought it up. And some of them have even used it for less than savory means. But at this point in time, they had found that they wanted to know more about it. So every time I brought it up or every time I used it in my planning or in my generation of content, I made sure to make a note of it to the students so that they knew like, hey guys, like this is a tool we can use. This is something we can work with. Later on, if we found that there was a piece of text that was a little too dense or a little too difficult to understand, as a class, what I would do is I'd stop, I'd stop whatever we were doing. And I would copy and paste that exact piece of text into AI, and I would get the AI to simplify it for us, trying to show students that this is a tool that you can use in a way that isn't just finishing your homework. Eventually, I taught a few students to do that independently, and that's a tool that they continue to use to this day. After that, I was shown a really interesting application out of the United States called called Class Companion. Uh, And Class Companion is an application that allows students to put their writing into an AI, and it gives them real-time feedback based on a rubric that I get to write and explain to the AI. It's a really cool uh, application, and the students really loved it. But the biggest way I introduced AI to my students was I developed a chat GPT prompt that created what I call AI Socratic seminars, where the AI actually took the place of Socrates himself. 
Well, that sounds really fascinating. And so what what age would these students be roughly? Uh, grade 11 and grade 10 mostly were the ones that I had doing these activities the most. Okay, that's very exciting. And so you were using ChatGPT. Was there any other so tools? ChatGPT was the main tool that I used, especially when making my metaphors and analogies or doing my AI Socratic seminars. The class companion is is a separate company in itself, but they are part of OpenAI. They do they do work with ChatGPT. So if I was a student for a moment, can you explain what I would need to do in the AI Socratic seminar assignment? And, and how did you measure your learning outcomes? So the wonderful thing about these AI Socratic seminars is it's as simple as taking a prompt that I have written and had sent to the kids via email, uh, copy and paste it into ChatGPT, and it takes you from there. All it does is it asks you a question, you give an answer on that question, and then the AI continues to give you further questions to probe your understanding. After the AI asks you five or six questions and feels as though it has a pretty good understanding of where your levels are at, it gives you targeted feedback on what aspect of that concept you don't quite understand. So some of the concepts I had students do was uh, nationalist versus non-nationalist loyalties. But I also allowed them to use whatever other concepts they wanted. So the nice thing about this prompt is if you take the keywords out, nationalist, non-nationalist loyalties, you can swap it with any other term that you want. So I had students talk about what makes the best basketball player with the AI, and it is super interesting stuff. Yeah, that must be fascinating to see, you know, the different directions that students can take that. And exciting for the students to be able to, you know, be engaged in a way that that interests them. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, and I find that AI is a huge source of, in, uh, of interest in my classes no matter what. In fact, some of the best questions I asked all semester were related to AI, and but had nothing to do with AI itself. Simply questions like, can there be AI-generated Canadian content? That was a conversation I had in my classroom for close to an hour, and we could have kept going if we had the time. Do you have an example of a prompt or a question and then an answer that a, that a student might have yeah, of course. Of course. I totally have one of those for you. So the prompt itself is a little wordy, but it is not uh, it's not a difficult thing to come up with uh, at all. So the prompt is, as an expert in the Socratic method, assess my knowledge and understanding by asking me one question at a time about nationalist loyalties, asking me a series of questions to measure my understanding of nationalist and non-nationalist loyalties, asking follow-up questions when I show shallow understanding or vagueness in my response. Once you are confident you know my levels of understanding, please stop the conversation and give me some productive feedback on my responses. Do you understand? That is all you have to write into the chat GPT. And then it'll give you a question kind of like, can you explain what nationalist loyalties are and how they differ from other forms of loyalty? And then from there, one of my students said, uh, nationalist loyalties are being loyal to your nation state. For example, during the French Revolution, citizens were fighting to give power to the people to strengthen their nation. This is different from other loyalties because fighting for a country is different than being loyal to your religion, school, or favorite clothing brands. ChatGPT then went, thank you for your response. You're, you've provided a clear definition of nationalist loyalties and made a relevant historical reference to the French Revolution. You've also pointed out the distinction between loyalty to a nation state and other types of loyalty. Now let's delve deeper. Can you give me an example of a situation where nationalist loyalties might conflict with other type of loyalties, such as religious or cultural loyalties? And then the student goes on to answer that question, and the conversation continues organically. That sounds really amazing. And so were students using this as a way to kind of study or prepare for exams or? Yeah, and that's, that's one thing I really make a note of, is that this activity needs to be done at the end of teaching. 
AI, especially generative AI, has a tendency to be wrong and can give you false information at times. So students need to have all the information before they go into this, go into this activity so they can kind of call out the AI when it gives them something wrong. And if you do that, lots of students find that this is an extremely meaningful learning activity that they get a lot of review out of. They find that they're more confident in their level of knowledge afterwards. Yeah, because I guess they're they're coming back at that information again and again, and so that really helps kind of solidify their knowledge. And it doesn't let them be lazy because it when they provide vague answers, it asks them to to strengthen their thinking or deepen their thinking in some sort of way, explain more why you think the way you do. And if you don't do that, the AI will simply say, okay, you need to know more. You need to learn more about this concept for you to be able to talk about it more. Oh, so then they could go back and, and find out more about a particular aspect. Yeah, it's that targeted feedback portion that is really amazing when it comes to this tool because I can run a Socratic seminar with 30 kids all at once. I can. Asking the questions is difficult, but it's not impossible. What I can't do is give targeted feedback to 30 different kids all at the exact same time and have them all engage in the activity to the same level. Yeah, you can really meet each student where they're at. Exactly. And I do find that some students that have a lower level with technology do struggle with this activity, but the more they do it, the more they feel comfortable with it. And did you find any students did catch on to maybe some errors that the AI made? It may have been a case that there were, the AI was just on the top of its game whenever we did it. No student came up to me and said, hey, Alex, I think this is just wrong. It could have happened. I haven't seen any of it in the journals that I had my students keep because after each uh, conversation, the way I tracked their learning outcomes is they copy and pasted the entire conversation into a document for me. That way I could read their conversations. And from what I've read so far, there hasn't been any cases that it's been egregiously wrong, perhaps some minor misunderstandings, but that would be the same for a teacher. Hmm, that's wonderful. Did anything surprise you about the student's use of AI? Oh, oh Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every time I run these, I'm completely blown away by how insightful the AI is and how insightful it makes my students in turn. Oftentimes, I would give it a prompt of some sort, and I would expect it to go in one direction, but then it would go in a completely different direction and begin teaching the next portion of my content. And the best example of this I have is I talked about what well, I didn't talk about. The AI had a conversation with my students regarding the Treaty of Versailles and how that kind of leads into the interwar period. And we hadn't covered the aftermath of the Treaty of Versailles. We just covered the Treaty of Versailles, talking about why it happened, why the different countries wanted what they wanted. The AI was not interested in keeping the conversation right there. It wanted to go further, and it decided that they were going to talk about how the Treaty of Versailles impacted the rise of Adolf Hitler and the lead up into World War II. That is the exact steps that I was going into for the rest of my content. That, that's where I was going. That's where the narrative leads us. But the fact that the AI was already thinking of asking those questions was so interesting. But the even cooler thing that it did is when my students told them that they didn't quite know about that history yet, it changed the question and continued without missing a beat. And that's probably the coolest thing I've seen is that real-time accommodation. In fact, students will be asked about a particular case study. I know one of my students was asked about a case study on the breakdown of Yugoslavia, but that wasn't a case study that we covered over the course of our uh, of our time together. And so the student simply asked, hey, can we switch to Germany? Because I know a lot more about Germany than I do about Yugoslavia. And the AI went without missing a beat. And being able to do that and be able to have students simply say, I don't quite know where you're getting. Can you give me a hint? And the AI will give you a hint and allow you to ask, answer the question after that hint is given. So that real-time accommodation is something that even I couldn't pull off in the moment. 
It sounds very engaging. It sounds like I can imagine maybe not every student you had is maybe a history buff or intrigued with history, but it sounds like much more engaging than just reading history in a book. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to just be history. One of the greatest conversations I read was one student had a conversation with the AI about what is the nature of success? What does success mean? And the questions that the AI asked were more insightful than I think I would have come up with. The student gives a pretty good definition of what success is, but then the AI goes into asking questions about, well, how are societal expectations engaged in success? Like, how do we how do we measure success in a society? Does it change from society to society? So it asks really good questions that really engage students to think about the world that they're in. And if we're doing a historical topic, the history of that topic. Wow, that's that's even sort of deeper than I would have imagined. That's incredible. Yeah, it's it's crazy to see what this generative AI comes up with. Every time I run this, I'm completely blown away by the questions it asks. Now, going a slightly different direction, very often in conversations around AI, AI and education, the topic of academic integrity comes up. So how did you approach that? Yeah, so the very first thing I did is I made it very clear that within within the confines of my classroom, the use of AI is a privilege and not a right. It is not something you have to have access to. It is something you get to have access to if you are going to use it properly. I also spent a great deal of time, in fact, a couple of days worth of classes, on teaching about AI ethics and the ethics behind using AI ethic, using AI properly. And that includes things like not spreading racism and sexism, because these AIs are learning from us just as much as we're learning from them. So if we spread racist ideas or sexist ideas or ableist ideas, those to- those sorts of things are going to become pervasive in the AI. So I made it very clear that like, that's just not something we can do. We have a responsibility to treat this ethically. Further than that, I-, I really wanted to focus on this idea of process rather than product-based work. If you use AI as a process-based tool where you're using it in the process of building a product, product, that's fine. That's like using a calculator to come up with an answer in math, in my opinion. There's no big difference there. However, if you're going to use the AI for product-based work, at that point, it's plagiarism. It's, it's as clear as day. It's not your work. It's not your thinking. But if you're using the AI to help guide your thinking, it's still your thinking. That's a great way to look at it. And uh, what were the students' responses to some of these discussions? They felt they were really engaged when whenever we talked about AI, even if it was about AI ethics or how they were supposed to use AI for good and not bad. But oftentimes they took it very seriously. I have a feeling that students were less likely to use AI within my classroom for uh, nefarious reasons simply because they knew how much I used it. Once you see enough generative content, it kind of seems formulaic. There's actually a new metric they've been using to test whether or not writing is student-made or human-made, and it's it's referred to as burstiness. When humans write, we often change the length of our sentences as we go along. Um, it's just something weird we do because we're human. AI doesn't do that. I often say that AI writes as if they've been explained what it's like to be human, but have never actually been human themselves. And you can see that in their writing. Often their sentences are the exact same length. They start with a with a point that they're asserting, then they put a comma, then they then they defend that point, and then they finish off the sentence. And it's the exact same length over and over and over and over again. So once students started to realize, like, wait, this thing writes like a machine. I can't use it to cheat, but I can use it to learn. That was a really important lesson for them. That's a that's a marvelous lesson. That's wonderful. And you know. These students are going to grow up with this, this 
That's yeah. exactly that's exactly what I said in in my presentation to the university. Once I finished my research project, I actually I I found a term that I really loved: the idea of a 21st century learner. We often told kids that they aren't going to have access to the internet in their pocket their whole lives. They're not going to have a calculator. I remember being told that when I was in grade six. That that is what I was told every year of my life. But it's not true. It's not true anymore. I have the internet in my pocket. I have a calculator in my pocket at all times. I can use my calculator for two plus two if I want, even if I don't need it. The same is going to be true for AI. It's going to be in these students' lives, whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not. We would be doing a disservice to our students to not prepare them for that eventuality. So comparing these assignments to uh, to maybe other assignments that you've worked with with students, how do you think that this method worked? I think it worked really well. This assignment was uh, purely formative in this practicum because I wasn't quite sure how it could be summative. But the more I look at it, the more I believe that that is going to be my next step and what I'm going to be doing with it over the next couple months is I'm going to be developing a rubric that I can use to actually make this a summative project. Because if I can grade a one-on-one conference with a student, why can't I read a conversation with an AI and grade that exact same conversation? So I, I think this method worked tremendously well. Students were super engaged. They liked doing it. They were interested in being able to use their own concepts as well as the ones that I gave them. So giving them that incentive of, oh, well, if you do an AI seminar on nationalist loyalties, I'll let you do one on the nature of success or happiness or any of those other things. I think they worked really well. For some students, of course, they didn't work. Not everyone's going to like everything, but as they started to use it, they began to like it more and more. And were there any challenges or limitations with using AI? Not, there wasn't any huge ones that I found. There's some, there's some housekeeping things like you can't have more than I think it's five accounts log in on the same IP address at the exact same time without ChatGPT throwing up some red flags. But that's easily mitigated by having students create accounts the weekend before. Some students, when they didn't quite understand the content, they struggled but then they could ask the AI for hints or they could ask the AI to go in a different direction and they were still able to take part in the activity. So really, it's it's a self-accommodating assignment at this point. I could really see students taking the strategies that you've taught them and and applying that when they're having challenges in other classes. Well, and that's, that's the dream. I had students take surveys after each of the seminars that they did. And, and oftentimes, the comments that I got at the end of those surveys were, I would love to use this to study for science. I think it would be great for science. And I do find that numeric-based content is way more difficult for ChatGPT to handle. So this would be great for an English or science classroom. It's going to be more tough to use it for math concepts. I'm not a math teacher, so I wouldn't know, but the capabilities in English social are huge. In fact, I'm uh, currently working on another prompt to be able to do novel studies, with do the same AI seminars, but in novel study format instead. And can you talk now a little bit more about your your research project? How did this overlap with your teaching practicum? So as part of PS3, teacher candidates are required to run a professional inquiry project. We call them PIP projects on some aspect of their teaching practice. It's actually a very open and fluid thing. You can pretty much do anything you want. But during the practicum, we had to do research on an inquiry question of our own creation. So the, the question that I kind of focused on is how can we utilize AI within a social studies classroom? And really that came out of an idea of like, as teachers, we kind of fight against technology whenever it shows up. And I kind of wanted to skip that initial growing pains and just get right to the part where we're all good friends. 
And so as such, within my classroom teaching, I would work in AI-related activities as much as I could. I even built like a mini prompt that created a little test for students where it tested to see if it was a piece of argument or uh, if it was a piece of evidence or if it was an argument. And then slowly but surely, I would have students uh, do the AI seminars and then start taking surveys. And then I compiled as much data as I could over that over that time. And so, so where, what were your findings? So I found that the majority of students gave themselves about a two or a three in confidence of content before the seminars. And most of the time I saw that it went up to a four or five afterwards. I found about 80% of students thought that it was a meaningful learning experience, something that they would really get something out of. Some of my other findings was that students really enjoyed it as a study tool. They felt that it was really good at review and genuinely students were very encouraging. They wanted me to continue pushing for AI to be used in more classrooms and with more teachers. That's wonderful. So going back in time a bit, when did you first hear about AI? And then when did you have that first thought of, hey, you know, I can use this in the classroom? Yeah. So the first time I really started working with AI and using it personally was in an ed psych class that I had at the university where it, AI wasn't even a month old at this point. It was very, very new. But one of the professors at the university decided that all of the projects that we were going to do, he was going to have a portion where we had to get AI to do a portion of it. That way, when we became teachers, we would be more prepared to deal with AI when our students used it. And after seeing the power of AI there, I then went on to get a job at a summer camp, a science summer camp, a destination exploration at the university. And I used AI to help teach myself how to code. So I would be able to help teach kids to code. And after seeing the power of AI, not only in my ed psych class and then in my summer job, I thought, man, I really need to start using this way more. It's going to make my teaching practice way better, and it's going to help so many students at the same time. So I began using it for lesson planning. I began using it for PowerPoints, metaphors, analogies, any of those things that I, I want to create, but I don't want to do the thinking myself. AI is going to do the thinking. That's wonderful that you've really embraced it because these changes have been happening really quickly. Yeah, and like I don't even have ChatGPT four yet, and I, I, I'm the more the more I do this research, the more I realize, Alex, you just got to pony up and buy the buy ChatGPT four so you can get all the new get all the new bells and whistles because there's some really cool stuff out there, and it's only getting more powerful and more and more uh, insightful. Why did you think it was important for? students in K-12 to to get this introduction and exposure to generative AI? Like we said earlier, it's it's not going anywhere. It We can try and get rid of it, but students are going to find ways around our ways to put up walls. We come up with AI checkers. There are now AIs that will re-scramble AI-generated content to make it more human. We try and make it so that they can only write essays when we're watching them like a hawk, but that's simply just not it's not feasible. It's not going to work. So we need to teach them that there's another way to use this tool. If they're going to use it either way, we need to teach them there's another way to use it. And we have to prepare them for the future that they're going to live in. And it really sounds like you've taught them some excellent strategies for how to use this tool. I like to believe that I've taught them some excellent strategies to use this tool. I like to believe that they're going to use this tool for good and not evil. Um, The way that I'm teaching them to write Uh, AI prompts could very well lead them to be better at writing AI prompts that write essays. That That is an eventuality, but we have to trust that the students that we have are going to take the lessons that we give them and use them in a good way. Yeah, for sure. What kind of skills, uh, what other skills does AI help to develop with the students? What did you see? 
I found that it made students more confident. That was the number one thing that I saw, especially that's the number one thing students saw is that AI made them more confident as students. I would say that the skill of being able to read through dense like dense text, that's something that students really need. My 10-2s really struggled whenever they got, we, we call them $2 words in my classroom, whenever a good old $2 word would come up and they wouldn't quite understand it, everyone would shut down. The entire text was no longer, was no longer able to be read simply because of one word we didn't understand. And so the AI let us get around that. And it, it really, not so much that it helped them develop that skill, it highlighted that we needed to work on that skill for me. Well, that certainly is is in itself valuable. Yes, exactly. When you mentioned that there are AI tools that will scramble text to sound more human, from your perspective, what do you think makes something sound or be more human? The way we converse is unique to humanity. We are, the, the way I speak is different from the way everyone else speaks. The way I write is different from the way everybody else is write. AI doesn't have that issue. It writes the same way all the time. It is mechanical in the way it does. It's very formulaic. And, and I say that very specifically because it follows a formula. It wants to give you a point. It wants to explain that point. It wants to finish that point. It wants to move on to the next one. It doesn't get stuck. It doesn't make mistakes. It doesn't do those things. And sometimes as humans, we throw in something that makes absolutely no sense. And that is extremely telling that it's human. And that new metric of burstiness, that, that, that's my number one. I honestly believe burstiness is a really good way to check for AI-generated content. I'm no authority on that, of course, but that's that's how I do it. However, if if instructors are really looking to find a way to catch their kids using AI, the number one way to do it is get them to write in front of you by hand. Lots of exit slips, lots of entry slips. Write on, write on this question, give me a paragraph, throw it on a sticky note and throw it at me. Because that is the most genuine piece of writing I'm going to get from my students. And if I, could, if I have a benchmark to put it off of, I can tell what their human sounds like. That makes sense. I, I feel like I can sometimes tell when something's been written by AI. I don't know if I really can or not. But Yeah, it's a little. And, and not that the AI checkers are bad by any means. They, they, they can be used. There are a few that I trust and use fairly often. But they're never. I never put it in first and be like, oh, AI-generated content. It's more so... This is a little fishy. I might want to check this one with a fine tooth comb. So usually it's I check I catch it first. The AI checker just gives me some evidence to back me up. So you're nearing the end of your degree and and so you've been teaching in your practicum. How has your teaching and your learning approach changed over time? I, honestly, I think the biggest change has been in my thinking of AI as no longer as an obstacle, but now as an opportunity. AI is scary, especially from an educational standpoint. There's fear for teachers that we may lose our jobs to AI one day. There's fear for teachers that students are going to simply cheat on everything we give them going forward. Those are real fears that teachers have. But there are some real opportunities as well. Those obstacles do not mean that we are doomed to be fighting AI for the rest of, the, for the rest of our career. It simply means that we're going to have to mitigate those obstacles with the opportunities. And honestly, I think that's been my biggest change in my thinking over the last four months is I no longer see obstacles as simply obstacles. They are obstacles and ob opportunities. Well, and certainly, as you've said, you know, being able to have 30 students engaged all at one time and and having them, you know, 
work at the level that they're at. I mean, that's really an amazing thing. Yeah, it's something that any singular teacher would struggle to would struggle to pull off. Um, I know I certainly couldn't pull that off having thirty kids run thirty conferences with real time feedback. That just it's impossible. And we have so many time constraints within the classroom already that it's so difficult to give every student the level of feedback that they deserve. So any any attempt that we can make to give them more feedback and be more process-based rather than product-based, because feedback doesn't mean it's the end. It just means you get to go continue working. It, the more we can make this process-based than product-based, the better we're going to be. And that timeliness of feedback is so critical too. You know? Yeah, yeah, of course. Like I, I only finished marking essays on this last Friday, which was a week after my practicum ended, and it was both the essays that they had written this semester. Well, that's not timely feedback. I I couldn't get it to them any sooner because of my other responsibilities. If I had an AI to give them feedback, not mark the essay, just give them feedback, that would take that off my plate and they would have better writing because of it. Yeah, that really helps their learning in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Because right now I gave them feedback on the only two essays they're going to write in this course. Are they really going to read that feedback and apply it to their next course? Probably not. But if I was able to give them AI feedback in October and then have them continue working on those essays as they go through the semester, that would have been a way more effective use of my time. So do you have any guesses on what the future looks like with generative AI and, and other AI? Oh, your guess is probably as good as mine. I genuinely believe that we're going to be using it more and more as we as we work out the kinks. I've read that there are actually there's even some legal offices in New York right now that are using generative AI to write the majority of their correspondence in and out of the firm, which is insane to me. I cannot believe lawyers are doing it because if they're doing it, why can't everybody else? I, I do genuinely believe that AI is going to take away those jobs that we don't want to do. It's going to take away writing up descriptions of things and that sort of stuff. Because it's really easy for me to give a quick a quick few points to an AI and have it write a description of an, ex- of an assignment or something along those lines. I do hope that generative AI in the future is more accepted. Not, not wholeheartedly. I'm not saying let's just dive on in and run towards it. But I, I do think that we need to give people more credit that they're going to use these things for more good than evil, hopefully. Well, and certainly the work that you've done with students, you know, the younger that students really learn to use it and understand it, I think that really will help to contribute to that going forward. Yeah, and kids always get to it before their parents do anyways. So if we can get to the kids, we can certainly get to the parents. What is one thing that you would tell teachers who are hesitant to use generative AI in their classroom? It doesn't need to be wholehearted. Like You don't need to go right into the deep end like I did and start running AI seminars every Friday in your classroom. That's not, that's not what we're asking. Use it for yourself first. My research project was purely on how students can use AI and how I can bring it into a classroom. I could have written a way longer and way more elaborate research project on how AI has affected me writing my lesson plans or how AI has affected me uh, scrambling my tests so that I'm able to change what the what the answers are for a multiple choice exam. You just throw your you throw your exam in ChatGPT and it randomizes it for you and it gives you a key. So what what I'd say to teachers who are hesitant to use generative AI is try it out for yourself first. Let it let it fix a bunch of your problems and then it'll want then you'll want to go and help your students use it. So what is next for you? What are you most excited about this year? 
Well, over the next year, I'm finishing up my degree, and uh, I'm hoping to graduate from the University of Lethbridge here in the summer. And then after that, I'm very, very excited at potentially returning back to Chinook to teach if I get the opportunity, if there's a job there for me. If not, I'm, I think I'm going to go out and I'd like to teach on either the Bagani or the Gainai Reserve and teach for a few years out there. That's wonderful. Um, Alex, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. This has been a fascinating discussion. Um, is there anything that you'd like to add before we finish up? Uh, simply another thank you for having me. It's been a wonderful opportunity to be here. Well, thank you. This episode featured Donna McLaughlin as host and Alexander McEwen as guest. Jordana Gagnon was our producer. Ryan Robinson was our sound technician and editor. Thank you also to Janice Michelle and Kelsey Jansen for their ongoing support and expertise. Our podcast is funded by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation and recorded on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. For more episodes, head to our website, learninginnovation.ca. Thanks for listening and take care. Mm-hmm.